It is our hope that we can have discussions that don't happen elsewhere because people are listening to each other or at least trying to listen to each other rather than knocking each other down. From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, this is Trending Jewish with... Bum, 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 bum. I had to make sure I got the drum beats in before you... Totally lost my flow there. With Rachel Burgess. And Brian Schwartzman. (laughs) I guess we're supposed to talk. Being as this is a podcast, there's not much... I don't play an instrument, do you? No, I don't. Just those drums that I usually play in the beginning when you say live. Yeah, that's about the extent of what I can do. So welcome to another episode of Trending Jewish. We're here to talk about Evolve today, right? But we don't, do we go into that? You gave me a look. Oh, did I? Yeah. Oh, I was just like, okay, we're, I was just, oh, we're talking about Evolve today. Great. I was just writing it down. There's also I want to know what we're talking about today. <laughs> There's something there is something really uncomfortable being in the seat with Sam our producer taking notes and you can't see what he's writing. It's almost like going into a doctor's office and you're kind of wondering whether or not this is Seinfeld episode 2 whether or not we're being put down as like a hostile patient or It's good stuff. Uh 42 minutes phone rings. <laughs> <laughs> There's probably other... I'm a little suspicious. I want to know if there's other, like, bits of wisdom. Like, what if he's also sitting there while he's listening and go, writes these insightful quotes? I don't know. I I think that there's probably a lot... Did we did we follow our, our uh, your lead, or, or were we talk, talking away from the mic and doing all kinds of things we weren't supposed to? No, you were good. We were good. We got a good grade today. That's that's excellent. So yeah, please put a good note in your notebook about how good we were and how we followed directions. Four, four, oh, three. <laughs> Post behaving. Well, if we've been on for four minutes already, then we've lost our audience because we haven't done done anything yet. But um, all right, so. Before we introduce our our guest, who is dear to both um, Rachel and I, just want to remind folks, rate us, like us on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Castro, help people find the show, spread the word about it, tell your friend over it, about it, over a nice cappuccino. Um, We know folks are uh, listening to us out there, so we'd we'd love to hear from you, and um, if you really are moved or like what you've heard or want to support us or the work of Reconstructing Judaism, uh, feel free to go to www.reconstructingjudaism.org slash donate. How was that? Was that? That was great. That was fun. I'm so okay. proud. All right. I'm so proud of you. Um, so we have, we have a great guest today, um, Rabbi Jacob Staub, who Rachel and I both both know well. We were thrilled to have him on and, and, and talk in, in depth. So I'm here, I'm, I'm thrilled to introduce Rabbi Jacob Staub, PhD. Rabbi Staub directs Evolve Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations, 
Rabbi Staub graduated from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College in 1977. He's served on the faculty here since 1983 and as the college vice president for academic affairs from 1989 to 2004. He was instrumental in developing uh, RRC's spiritual direction program and has taught about this across the, uh, across the country. Um, he served as the editor of The Reconstructionist, the um, legacy print publication from uh, 1983 to 1989. He's the author of The Creation of the World According to Gersonides and A Guide to Jewish Practice Shabbat, and the editor of a Zeke issue on Reconstructionism, Denominationalism That Works in 2010, um, he's the co-editor with Jeffrey Shine of Creative Jewish Education, A Reconstructionist Perspective, and co-author with Rabbi Rebecca T. Albert of Exploring Judaism, A Reconstructionist Approach, and Evolve. How do we find Evolve? At uh, reconstructingjudaism.org backslash evolve. Thank you for being here. We're really excited to Thank have you. you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're here Primarily, I, I think, to talk about Evolve, which is this exciting new project under Reconstructing Judaism's auspices that you're, you're kind of spearheading. I, I think director is your, is, is your title of that. I definitely want to go into what Evolve is about. So how did Evolve come about? So we are dedicated as part of, you know, on the about page, what we are about. We're having conversations about groundbreaking issues, about difficult conversations that aren't happening in a civil, respectful way, at least, in other parts of the Jewish community. We welcome different opinions, and our only requirement is that they be respectful and mutually open, um, Arguments for the sake of heaven, machloket l'shem shemayim, and uh, when I made my proposal to take over to take on this project, I came in with a list of ten subjects, topics that I thought we should deal with, and very wisely, uh, my colleague said, "We don't want to do something." that interests you, <laughs> we want to do something that will be of interest more broadly. So what we did, first I, I had, a I think, a dozen intensive conversations with a, a spectrum of members of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical Association, being careful to have younger and older, East Coast, West Coast, congregational, and other um, uh, kinds of uh, rabbis and ask them, what are the urgent issues that your constituents are asking and are concerned about? What are the urgent questions? And out of those dozen conversations, uh, I distilled 10 that kept coming up. We then did a survey of the entire RRA membership to see which five, well, to see which were, which, which were the most popular, and we came up with seven, right? The uh, five, six, and seven were close, so we just said, let's do seven. Uh, and those issues were uh, how, to be, how to do justice work Jewishly, that is, 
anybody can do justice work in or out of a Jewish context. What makes it Jewish when we do Jewish justice work? How do we harness technology for the good of Jewish civilization? How do we answer the question, why be Jewish? How do we approach the question of Jewish identities when there is uh, such a demographic uh, shifts and confusion about who is and isn't a Jew in the 21st century? Uh, race and Judaism, how to reimagine Jewish communities and how to cultivate uh, meaningful, respectful, constructive conversation about the issue of Israel slash Palestine. Those are the seven that made it to the big seven. And what we did was we solicited initially one essay on the question, on each question, and we uh, targeted younger voices. You know, I could have written all seven articles, right? So could a lot of other people. We, we, you know, people, um, we tried 10 years or less out from, from ordination, and they wrote, and then we convened two um, web conversations, which any member of the RRA was invited. So we had 14 web conversations, out of which came responses to the initial essays and materials that people had to contribute and are con continuing to contribute. It's, those seven conversations are not over. We then, um, uh, with the able and talented, uh, I don't even want to say support, we'll say leadership of Rabbi Ariana Katz, who put the website together and does a million other things to make all of this material accessible and attractive and um, meaningful. Uh, we got the site ready for um, a rollout to the movement, the Reconstructionist Movement at the end of August, and we now in, in October are rolling out to the wider Jewish world a little by little, organization by organization. I've heard it described as, as like a 21st century digital incarnation of the Reconstructionist, which which you you may or may not necessarily agree with, but I thought I thought it made sense um, to explain to our readers. I know I know you were you were the editor of the the Reconstructionist for for six years. I imagine you were a reader before and after that. Kind of what that publication was, why it was so important, and maybe what we're trying to recapture, or how we're trying to recapture it now. Yeah, um, I am delighted with that characterization, though it's a bit of a high bar to um, live up to. I hope we can, and we are living up to the standards of the Reconstructionist. The Reconstructionist uh, was founded, began in the 1930s by Mordechai Kaplan and his followers. It grew out of the SAJ Review, the Society for the Advancement of Judaism, the SAJ, was the first congregation that called itself Reconstructionist. And it was a very high-level newsletter um, with that tackled the, all the issues of the day that then got uh, transformed into a Reconstructionist that was beyond the SAJ. The, these Reconstructionists in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s uh, was the place for 
um, Jewish thinkers, intellectuals, rabbis, people who cared about the issues of the day, um, to read and to write about the issues of the day. Uh, we now have, even before the digital revolution, we had um, dozens of such p publications that uh, began to come forth in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, but back then, it was the first, and it was radical. It was um, putting forth ideas in a mostly traditional world view of the organized Jewish community that were uh, challenging the basic ideas of the time um, and was also uh, pro-labor, um, pro-union, anti-corporation. Um, uh, it was politically radical as well as uh, religiously radical. And so many of Kaplan's initial ideas um, that Judaism isn't an unending tradition but as an evolving civilization that, um, and so on uh, were put forth there. Um, it was it came about after the publication of Judaism as a Civilization, the first book that he published in order to promulgate those ideas. So um, my relationship with the Reconstructionist um, dates back to uh, my being a college student, and I wrote this um, really um, college student-y letter on five-hole <laughs> lined loose-leaf paper that said, Dear Sir, I'm confused about my Jewish identity. What is Reconstructionist Judaism? Signed Jack Staub and put in the mail to the Reconstructionist Seminary, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which I had heard about for the first time at a writer's conference in Middlebury several months before. And among the flood of materials that came back to me was a subscription from the, uh, the women's division of the foundation, I think, of the Jewish Reconstructionist Foundation. Um, and I, so I subscribed, and I was just amazed and excited that people could be talking about the things that they were talking about in a Jewish publication. Um, so uh, that was very important to me um, and eventually led me to applying to uh, RRC, to the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. So when I got the opportunity uh, in 1983 um, to become editor of the publication, I was very excited. I wanted it, though, to be different um, than it had been. We didn't need, at that point, a, a thought journal a, uh, for a highbrow discussion. We were, by 1983, an expanding movement uh, with, at that point, 30 or 40 or 50 affiliated congregations in Chavarot. And I was interested in making the Reconstructionist into a window into what was happening in the movement. So we had lots of articles on the synagogue as a support system network about uh, how intermarried uh, couples were and weren't welcomed into the synagogues at, at that time, uh, into ways of uh, developing new rituals and so on. Um, 
and I went to lay leaders in the congregations to either write or to tell me who in their congregation should write about the various exciting things that was ha were happening um, in their communities. Uh, we also, in every issue, had a, a thought piece, uh, like a, a symposium on the chosen people and so, and so on. Uh, but mostly we were interested in sharing the riches, letting people know just how um, exciting uh, were the things that were going on uh, in Reconstructionist communities. So now with the opportunity um, to do the same thing digitally, there are new challenges, but they're also in many ways much easier. In those days, I put together eight 32-page issues a year for those six years. I had to solicit the articles. They had to come in on a deadline. I had to edit them. I had several editorial assistants. I then had to cut and paste and uh, mock up pages. It was a very, very long process to produce each issue. Um, and, and it was fixed. It was fixed and we could hope that we would get a few letters to the editor responding to what we were publishing. Um, now, um, we put the articles, the essays up, and they're not just essays. We're having um, interpretations of biblical texts and study guides and curricula. Um, we're putting them up and people um, are responding uh, to them, writing their own essays in response. And we don't have to, you know, I say, you know, the length of an essay should be 1,500 to 2,500 words. But that's so that it will be readable. It won't be too long. In fact, we can put up a, an essay of any length. I don't have to cut the last 500 words out if it shouldn't be cut um, because it's digital. And um, we are able to and have held web conversations about these articles. So people out there um, read the essays most of the time, and then contribute to uh, the discussions of the topics. It's much more interactive and it's much more, the reach is much wider. And you also have video and audio on, on the site as well. Right, so right, it's, it's... right. We do. Um, that was part of my uh, thrill. That I, could t I, I could take my iPhone and l put someone up against the wall and say, talk for 30 seconds about why be Jewish. And people can do it. They can actually be concise. Um, and uh, we're doing more and more of that. You mentioned that you thought a little about, about this in advance, but it's your sense if this, if this poll was, was taken during, during the days when you were editing The Reconstructionist in the, uh, in the Reagan era, um, the, the list of topics would have, would have been very different? Yeah. Um, they would have been... An earlier um, version, right? So, like right now, we are preparing two more topics, two more buckets for the winter, spring, uh, doing what we did with the seven again with two more, and we're talking about gender identity, right? And and back then, the issue of uh, gay and lesbian rabbis or how to welcome and include gay and lesbian people uh, was really um, controversial. 
very controversial. Like the, so uh, it's amazing the difference be, uh, 30 years makes. Um, I think one of the editorials, we had editorials every issue uh, of the old Reconstructionist that I am most proud uh, was this long editorial called The Best Interests of the Child, which argued for um, same-sex couples to be allowed to adopt. Um, and uh, it was mind-expanding. My, my mind expanded and um, I think nobody was saying that back then. Um, so, so the issues uh, were different. Again, another – the first editorial we, we uh, wrote was a long one called After Begin. Um, Menachem Begin had just died. Shamir had just taken over and we were getting ready for, we hoped, a return to the halcyon days of labor Zionist um, leadership and we were, we were talking about what it would mean if the pace of set, building of settlements on the West Bank continued and how that would change the scope of things. Um, you know, that's not where we are now. Now we're, we're talking about is a two-state solution even possible? You know, things changed in, in the last um, uh, th 30 years. We were not talking about people of color, of Jews of color. We weren't even talking about that 10 years ago, I don't think. You know, this, that's a new issue that's uh, really taken hold and is very important in the evolved setting and in the broader world. The uh, Jewish Social Justice Roundtable and the RRA itself have held um, colloquia about these things and consultation. Um, we were dealing still back then with was patrilineal descent going to end the Jewish people? Like the question that Kalal put out in those days was, will there be one Jewish people in the year 2000? And I was the Reconstructionist representative very often on the Four Flavors panel uh, where each of the movements uh, addressed that problem. And um, now we know there isn't one <laughs> Jewish people anymore. And that's okay. You know, but we, I, I argued very strongly over and over again for the fact that there have been divisions in Jewish history in every generation and every place. And the myth of we are one is not a helpful um, uh, construct in terms of moving forward with ongoing evolution. Um, so those are some of the, the different issues that uh, – some of the issues that, that are different now than they were before. Another – one last one is back then – back then, you know, 30 years ago, <laughs> um, we were still touting peoplehood as a panacea. Like you don't have to believe anything in particular. You don't have to do anything in particular. You just have to belong to the Jewish people. This is something Kaplan put forward. And belonging is prior to behaving, which is prior to believing. Um, and so there were a lot of people who were proudly not interested in religion or in they not that you have to be interested in religion, but they there wasn't any 
content, ethical or spiritual content to their belonging. And Jeffrey Shine and I wrote together uh, stuff on um, promoting an idea of spiritual peoplehood, one that had content and values. And, uh, and that was an, a new idea then. It was like we were seeing that you couldn't just have cardiac Judaism, I feel Jewish in my heart, uh, it, you needed content. And now, 30 years later, that's a given. Um, first of all, you have lots and lots of people who do not feel that nostalgic attachment because they either weren't born Jewish or their parents were not very involved Jewishly, were a couple of generations removed from mass immigration 1881 to 1924, and people don't have grandparents who know who knew Yiddish, um, and there are many people who aren't Ashkenazic, right? So uh, the traditions of being Jewish because of bagels and locks and because of knedlach and all the the, um, the things that made you Jewish emotionally um, aren't still important, but they're not central in the same way. Many of us in society in American society in particular, we've, we've forgotten how to, how to talk to those we disagree with. We've, we're also, we're not participating in democratic small d organizations the way we once did. We're not used to, people aren't used to sitting on committees and, and working through messy problems and having, sometimes living with results they don't agree with. Um, does, I mean, does the community behind Evolve face some of these same challenges? Do you see this as a model, a needed model for civic discourse at an uncivil time? Is there, is there, you know, is there a broader scope for this? Yeah, yeah, that's really the critical, one of the critical issues of our time, absolutely. I'd say that the Reconstructionist emphasis on community and the value and importance of community as a place to start. So we have been working for, I mean, longer than 30 years, for, you know, 50 years from the old, old cover road, working on models of participatory decision-making. Is it okay to bring in kosher ingredients food into the communal kitchen from a non-kosher kitchen? Is it okay to uh, take photographs of a bar or bat mitzvah service on Shabbat. Um, or to stream services as well. well right. that, was a, that was a huge question, I think, for a while as well. Yeah. I mean, that is actually a little bit easier halakhically because you can just set it on and it turns on itself. <laughs> Whereas a, a photographer actually has to be, you know, so it, it was intrusive aesthetically and it's... Uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but all of those, the approach that we have put forward over the years has been called participatory decision-making. That is, if, you, if the community is making a decision, people who are interested will join a committee, a sub-ritual committee or whatever you want to call it, that studies the sources and studies contemporary issues 
and comes up with a proposal that balances tradition and contemporary values that then gets put, put forward for larger discussion among a larger group uh, that makes the decision in the community. What that does is it asks for an investment of time and interest and an acquisition of novel, not and an acquisition of knowledge so that you're not saying, oh, I don't feel that way. You need to know, you know, why is that practice important or was once important before you discard it. Um, and so it's a sort of knowledge-based consensus that has worked pretty well in many, many of our communities in making decisions so that it's not, oh, the rabbi decided this and I don't like it and I'm leaving the community. You have a buy-in to the community and the other payoff there is that a certain number of people learn a lot about kashrut or learn a lot about uh, Shabbat observance that they would not have otherwise. They become more knowledgeable Jews, they become more committed, they have more have more of a buy-in. More recently, uh, David Toitz has put forward a, a more formalized version of that called values-based decision-making. Um, but it's the same process. Let's figure out what are all the values. Let's talk about them. Let's reach a consensus, which means not everybody has to agree, just not everybody, but just no one vetoes, right? So you can live with it. So that's the basis on which Evolve is now coming into this, you know, wild west world of polarization and acrimony and ad hominem attacks. Um, it is our hope that we can have discussions that don't happen elsewhere because people are listening to each other or at least least trying to listen to each other rather than knocking each other down. Um, so that means that opinions that are controversial or not so kosher in other parts of the Jewish community can appear on the website, on the Evolve site, because we're not endorsing them. We are allowing opinions to be expressed that can then be responded to. Um, so the advisory board have, has come up with a, a set of traditional Jewish values that will govern these conversations. One I've already mentioned is machlokat l'shem shamayim, that you're arguing for the sake of heaven, uh, not in order to vanquish each other. Another is respect, kavod. Um, another um, is... Redifat um, Shalom, pursuit of peace, which nowadays comes to mean uh, compassionate li listening. Um, I want to understand what motivates you to feel so strongly about your position. I don't have to agree with it, but I can understand where you are coming from, and we can make peace. You don't make peace with your friends. You make peace with your enemies. You know, your opponents. So. So I can be empathic, an empathic listener, and, and then maybe be changed by listening in that way to you. And um, most basic of all is that we are all created in the image of God and that nobody should be insulted, um, ridiculed, embarrassed 
uh, that's not what Selem Elohim, the image of God, requires uh, of us. So wish us luck. So far, so good. This worked in the web conversations. It worked really well. Um, and values were put forth in advance. And I was there as a, a classroom monitor. I mean, I was the facilitator, but people, I said, I will intervene if it gets out of hand. And I never had to. So did so you set up these values, and I don't think that these were explicitly stated back in the Reconstructionist. The, I mean, you have a printed format, and it was more of a one-way conversation. You said that you were hoping that people would write back to, you know, respond to through a letter of the editor. Um, did you have to state that specifically because this is a digital platform that people are responding to? Did that have the influence or is it more of the times that we're in that were very polarized? What really? Yeah, I, I would say both. Um, the digital format means that we have to curate. Back then, if someone wrote a letter and it was nasty, I could not publish it or I could, you know, nobody would know the difference. But it's really important um, that we take, we, the advisory board, the staff, take responsibility uh, for the menschlichkeit of, of any given uh, comment. So internet trolls and stalkers and, you know, all of the phenomena that we have to deal with now is addressed in some ways in the Harnessing Technology uh, essay where Deborah Waxman and uh, Nathan Kamisar talk about developing um, rules, um, values that we should try and live by when we are on the internet. Like try to imagine what the face of the other person looks like even though you're not in the same room. Imagine that you're uh, actually talking to her or him in um, as you would if you were sitting across a table. Um, so there's that. We have to deal with that because of the digital age. And uh, you know, over um, hanging everything else is the the acrimony that's just out there uh, on news media um, in, in in every form. Uh, what what would have been roundly condemned by everyone across the political spectrum now now uh, stands as a, a reasonable discourse when we're discussing issues. All right, I think this is related, and if it's if it's not, um, Sam over there can just can just hit uh, delete, and and no one no one will be the wiser. Um, Anyone who's encountered me in the last month knows I've I've like become obsessed with this um, Israeli historian uh, philosopher uh, Yuval Harari. I don't, you don't you don't necessarily have to have read him to to answer this question, but I'm making my way through his first uh, book, which is it's titled Sap Sapiens: um, <laughs> The His uh, A Brief History of Humankind, which it's it's mm -hmm. it is what it says. It covers Everything from the development of agriculture to commerce to gender societies, technology, patriarchy, race—it's—it's 
it's all in there. And his main contention, it's I'm sure it's not a new idea. It's not a new idea, but it's it's the way he phrases it is 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 really interesting. That what's what really separates our our genus and species from you know other human species that coexisted and preceded us and the animal kingdom is our ability to create it's it's not a word i like but he says fictions that that our cognitive powers and language are sophisticated enough that we can get people to cooperate together around an i around an idea it's not just to protect our band or protect my family but we work together for Imperial China. We work together for the idea of Apple Corporation. We work together for for Judaism and and the Torah and and everything we've we've inherited. So, I mean, one way you can look at it that the Jewish enterprise is is deeply human, and in some ways, it seems like it resonates with Kaplan's teachings on the idea that. Judaism exists for the Jewish people and not the other way around. And on the other hand, I've just I've kind of been deeply disturbed. I mean, maybe I mean, I almost asked myself like is this not is this all made up? Like what if we remotely accept that? How do we ensure that that Judaism is something of a higher plane from these from all these other ideas that that unite humans in 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 common cause, I think that's my question. Is that did that did that come I across as a question? Is that work with it? <laughs> they te- they teach you in journalism school to ask short, direct, there concise you go. questions. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I violated every rule I've ever been taught. But but sure, what but, I hear you, uh, I hear you asking about is uh, narrative about you know or what we used to call in the '60s mythic structure. Um, there is. There aren't even facts. This is sort of the postmodern perspective. There is just ways that you organize and narrate things that you perceive, and that there is no one right way to do that. Um, I was reading, I think, recently an, an article about why people are so devastated. Like if you if you lose a, a Senate if your if your team loses the Senate vote, uh, it's it's not unlike what happens when your team loses the Super Bowl. Uh, being part of a team means that your identity is invested in that team, and you personally you take personally and are personally affected by that narrative of how that how that um, team. Uh, affairs. I think your question, I'll get to how it uh, um, addresses the Jewish enterprise in a minute, but the I think the larger issue is there such a thing as truth, as accuracy. Um, and the answer is, I think, emphatically no. Um, you know, is is it truer to say that the um, Israelites at Mount Sinai had a transformative experience, and Moses wrote this stuff down based on his understanding of the uh, ethical and ritual needs of a people, 
than it is, is it truer to say that than it is to say that God spoke at Mount Sinai and those words were literally heard? Um, no, I don't think either one is truer. It's a, we make choices about how to organize, narrate, um, you're using the word, or Harari is using the word fiction, um, like, but fiction, if he's using the word fiction like that, then fiction will soon have the same status as myth, which is not as false. Myth is really truthful. Myths contain truths, not falsehood. So he's using fiction in that way. Um, is, so to give a shorter answer to the question, getting to Jewish stuff, there is one of the things I argued in those four-person panels about will there be one Jewish people in the year 2000 was that it was unhelpful for the non-Orthodox to ask the Orthodox to be pluralistic. This is an example because the very definition of orthodoxy is that there is one way to do things. And it's not a matter of how you want to observe Passover. It's here's the way you do it. And we can't, we don't have, uh, it's not like it's up to me to make those decisions. Um, so asking the orthodox to be pluralistic, to admit that we all have viewpoints that are of equal value is to ask them not to be orthodox, right? So um, we were being we were experiencing being them being intolerant of us when we were being intolerant of them. Actually, it was mutual. Um, so how we organize the data uh, affects what we think is true and affects how we live. Kaplan's contention was that he came out of a, uh, the, the pragmatist school. You judge b ideas and beliefs according to their fruit. So if I believe in an all-powerful God who knows my every thought, and that makes me, ha that's bad for my self-image, you know, and it doesn't allow me to achieve my potential, then that's not a good thing. If, on the other hand, you know, there are plenty of people who believe that, who thrive as human beings. Uh, so it's not, it's, okay, so if the purpose of, he would say, Kaplan would say, if the purpose of a Passover Seder is to affirm the value of freedom uh, from oppression, if that's the underlying, you know, we, they were slaves and they, now they're, we were slaves and now we're free and we are continued to be slaves in this generation. We have to continue to work for freedom. Uh, so he would say, if a Seder leads to people having a better sense of what it means to be free, either personally, uh, individually, and or how to work for, against oppression and for freedom, uh, in the world, then w that works. But if you go to a Seder and everybody is comes out oppressed by the notion that, oh my God, how am I going to fulfill all of the prohibitions of Passover and 
and you know, then that he would say that's not uh, a good myth to live by. So all we can do is adopt fictions, myths, stories that promote what we think are the best values and live them out according to our stories. Well, if Evolve ever ever adopts uh, adopts a book club, I I, uh, I nominate that as, as as one of the one of the selections. But um, look um, look forward to seeing where where Evolve goes. Certainly, um, the the next uh, the next topics. Um, you're the boss. Are we are we at, are we out of time? <laughs> we or? are out of time. But thank you so so much for coming in and sharing the evolution of Evolve, Evolve Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations, which is a project from reconstructing Judaism. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, great pleasure. I'm very excited uh, with the project, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much, Rabbi Jacob Staub. And if you want to learn more about the Evolve Project, check out the articles that were written, respond. Um, you can do that by going to evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. And you can subscribe to more trending Jewish episodes using iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and Castro, and other places where you can download and listen to podcasts. You can also listen to podcasts and also see other resources on our website, trendingjewish.fireside.fm. And if you like Trending Jewish, you like the work that we're doing, um, please feel free. We would greatly appreciate it if you could help support our work. And you can do that by going to reconstructingjudaism.org slash donate. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time.